pumped up for this message. I want to make sure we had time to get into it. Uh, we're talking about God's team today, and, and, and we talked about the Patriots and the Falcons, and they're playing today, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, and there's all this going on, and, and, and so the first thing we, we have to realize is that God has a team too, and he calls it the church. So, so if you are a Christian, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, you're part of that. You're on his team. You're part of his team, man, I think probably most of us, if not all of us in this room right now, you are on God's team. And I told you last week what I want to do is, is talk for just a few minutes about some differences between God's team and our teams. I think there's, there's some similarities. Uh, you know, I'm not the first person to make this comparison, first of all, right? Like we already saw the Apostle Paul compared the spiritual walk to sports. He compared it to racing and, and running a race, and he was at the, kind of the era of the first Olympics. And he's writing to people in Greece, and so he's talking about the games and the running and, and running in such a way to win the prize. And so we're, if you think this is just too unspiritual to make this comparison, it's been done for at least 2,000 years. Uh, so, so we're in good company. Uh, but, but I want to show you four ways that God's team is different. Uh, last week, I, I told you this one. You already got a sneak peek of it, but I want to unpack it a little bit more. Number one is, is that God's team doesn't have a height requirement, it just has a heart requirement. doesn't have a height requirement, it just has a heart requirement. I brought a picture of the shortest man in the NFL. Go ahead and put that picture up for us. Uh, that's distorted a little bit, but that's Trendon Holiday, number 11. He's five feet five inches tall. Uh, he's actually not on a team anymore. He, he was on the Denver Broncos, and, and he's actually a free agent right now. He's a kickoff returner, so he's five foot five. I'm five eight, and I'm short. Uh, and I tower over Trendon Holiday, which is pretty awesome. Puff my chest out a little bit, right? But, but even at him at five feet, five inches, he's still taller than a whole lot of people, uh, believe it or not. In fact, I, I looked up some statistics. Um, around 8% of the world's male population and 65% of the world's female population, that's the adults uh, on both sides, are under five foot five. So that break works out to around roughly 2.7 billion people. In the world, adults who are too short to play in the NFL. And, he, and that's not to talk about athleticism and strength and all the other things. Uh, that, that, you know, Trenton Holiday is, he's an outlier. He's an exceptional athlete. He's really fast. He's really quick. That's the way, only way he can even do it at his size. But there's a whole lot of people, 2.7 billion people in the world who, who couldn't even play for the NFL just because of their height. Now, we could go to other sports and it would be even more extreme. Shortest person in the NBA is taller than that. Shortest person in Major League Baseball is taller than that. Shortest person in the National Hockey League is taller than that. But it's Super Bowl Sunday, so we'll just look at the NFL. Five foot, five inches tall. Um, Romans 10 says this. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 is very famous. I quote this one all the time. Verse 10 we don't talk about as much, but it goes right along with it. It says, if you confess with your mouth or declare with your mouth in the new NIV, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, so there's two things, right? There, there's something has to happen here, and there's something that has to happen here. In my heart, I have to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. With my mouth, I have to confess Jesus, not his Savior, but Jesus is Lord. In other words, he's in charge. So there's a heart requirement for the kingdom of God. It's with my heart that I believe and am justified. That's what verse 10 says. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Scripture drives this point home in many different ways, the importance of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. You see, if anything else has my heart, Jesus isn't Lord. 
If anything else has my heart, uh, he's not in control. If anything else has my heart, and I don't mean that if I love anything else. I'm talking about what has your heart. What is the essence? What, what gets you up in the morning? What drives you? What do you live for? If anything else has your heart, you're missing out on what God has for you. Proverbs 23, 26. Thank you, Teresa. Keep on amen and girl. Proverbs 23, 26 says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. I wonder how many of us here today, maybe we raised our hand. Maybe we prayed a prayer. Maybe we've confessed Jesus as Lord. But how many of us today have maybe never given Jesus our heart? I don't mean we never asked him into our heart. I don't even like that phraseology. I don't think that's the perfect theology. Jesus doesn't live in me so much. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus is at the right hand of God, whatever. We don't have to worry about that today. But, but maybe you've, you've asked him to be in you, but have you given him you? And, and the thing about giving God your heart is, to me, this is like a daily thing because there's competition every day. Man, every day I wake up, there's, there's a bunch of stuff gunning from my heart. There's some sin and some pleasure that's gunning from my heart. There's, there's some distraction that's gunning from my heart. The, the Bible actually says that the greatest competitor for my heart is money. I, I can't serve both God and money because money's always coming for me, right? Money's always dangling out there. It's always tempting. It's always drawing me. So there's some things that are competing for my heart on a daily basis. So it's not enough to just one time say, God, you got my heart. Check. I'm good. Daily, I got to check myself. God, what, what's coming? What's competing? What's, what, 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 what is drawing me away from you? John Calvin famously said that the, the heart is an idle factory. That in other words, I'm constantly in me building other things to worship besides Jesus. And so what I have to do is, is be constantly be evaluating, constantly looking. And, and so God does not have a height requirement. Man, my, my son, I don't even know how tall he is, two foot seven, I don't know. Uh, he's short, right? Like, he ain't tall enough to play in any, in any professional sport. Uh, they could probably play baseball because they could never strike him out because they couldn't hit the strike zone. But, but <laughs> just don't swing, Judah. Uh, but, but, but he wouldn't know how to get to first base, so it wouldn't matter. Um, but he, he couldn't play in any professional league. He's too short. But, but I believe he can give God his heart. I believe God's after his heart. I believe God's, God's wooing him. I'm constantly praying over my son every night when I put him to bed. God, help him to, to follow more with you. Help him to give his heart to you. Why? Because he doesn't have a height requirement, but he does have a heart requirement. And I want to see my family give Jesus their heart. Second thing that, that separates God's team from our teams is that God's team fights from victory, not for victory. I love this one, man. I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan, as you can see. And, 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 and Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach, he has a bunch of little cliche statements that he makes that, that are kind of unique. But one of his is always compete, man. And, and the other one is win forever. In other words, they've got this mentality. We're not, we're not trying to peak at this one season. We're not setting a date on the calendar. That's going to be our year. We're, we're trying to win every season. We're trying to win every moment. We're trying to win every day. They're, they're, every day they go to a game day, they say, we're going 1-0. and 1-0 today. We're not worried about what our record is. We're not worried about what our opponent's record is. We just want to go 1-0 today. That's our job. We're always going to compete, and I think that's great, but I think it's even greater that when you're on God's team, you're not fighting for victory. I'm not saying we're not, yes, we fight for victory over sin, and we fight for victory in, in different things in our life, but you're not really fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory, 
And it's a totally different mentality. It's a totally different thing. I, 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 I got to witness, witness with my own eyes my team win the championship once in my life. I'm from Seattle, Washington. I've rooted for every Seattle sports team my entire life. In 1979, the Seattle Supersonics won the NBA championship. In 1980, I was born. Didn't win another championship until like three years ago. I am bad luck for our teams. I showed up and we couldn't win anything. And until finally, the Seahawks won that trophy and it was incredible and I celebrated and some of you got to see me act a fool when it happened. Uh, and, and, it, and it was amazing. And for one off season, I got to be the guy that, that wore the hat that says Super Bowl champions, right? I got to be the guy that, that my team didn't have to fight for victory. We already had the victory. Nobody could say anything to me. If you have a church full of 49ers fans, it didn't matter. My Seahawks were the champions, right? For one season. But as a Christian, you are always on a championship team. You are always on the team of victory. There is no off season. There is no down season. There is no rebuilding year. As a Christian, we are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And let me prove it to you. Ephesians 2, 5, and seven, or 5 through 7 says this. It says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad he's rich in mercy? He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Okay, we, we probably know that if we've been Christians for any time. And then he says this. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Past tense. What happened to you as a Christian? When you came to Jesus, God raised you up in the heavenly realms and seated you with Christ Jesus. So what is, wh where are you spiritually? Now physically, you're in Olive Branch, Mississippi. You, you're sitting in a chair on the first row or the third row or the seventh row. Or man, I wish they had further rows back so I could sit even further away. Right? Like wherever you are, that, that, that's where you might be physically in the natural. But in the spirit, where are you? Where are you? Say it out loud. You are seated with Christ Jesus. Where's Christ Jesus? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father. So your spirit is already seated in heavenly paces, past tense. Not one day when you die. Not after you stand before the throne and the judgment. You, right now, spiritually, you are seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You've already won. You already have victory over that sin. You might not be walking in it, but you've already been given victory over it. You already have healing in your body. You might not be walking it in it, but you already have victory over it. There, there, there's temporary healing and then there's ultimate healing. My, my, my wife's grandfather this week, he got ultimate healing. He had cancer. He'd, he'd laying, fallen and broken his hip. His body was falling apart. His wife had passed away about seven years ago. He was ready to go home. He was ready to see Jesus. And this man walked with joy in his heart. He walked with purity. I mean, he's a man who I look up to in a great way. And, and, and it's hard to say goodbye, and it's sad to see that he's gone. But I know now he's physically seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. He's been united with his spirit. But he was already there. He already had victory. It's just now he's walking in that victory. So when you get up in the morning, yes, Fight for your family. Yes, fight for the kingdom. Do all that stuff. But, but recognize you're not really fighting for, you're fighting from. God's already done it. 
He's already put you in the, in the heavenly realms. Elsewhere in Ephesians, it says you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's already been done. I loved Matt's illustration. If you came, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm just going to steal it, man. If you came Sunday night, Matt's testimony. He, he shared that, that on day one of the Daniel fast, he said, God, I need some financial breakthrough. I need something new in my job. And, and it was on day 21 of the fast, the last day of the fast, that, that, that day 20, he found out he had a job offer. Day 21, God said, accept the job offer. But God showed him, you already had it. You just hadn't seen it yet. I gave it to you on day one when you first asked for it, but it's not till day 21 that your eyes were open to it. So God has already done it. Right? Why? Because Matt was not fasting for victory. He was fasting from victory. He already had victory. That was his position. That was his place. That was what he already had. And so God gave that to him. You're, you're fighting from victory, not for victory. I hope you understand how significant that is. Back in 2006, when we were first starting the, the youth ministry, it's called the 662 here. We were first starting the, the 662 worship band. And uh, one of the first songs they worked on is a song by the David Crowder band called We Win. Uh, and it's a, it's a real simple song. It has one verse and a chorus. And, and I brought the lyrics for you today because I think it's so profound. This is what it says. This is a declaration that I think all of us can grab hold of. It says, we're going to shout loud, loud until the walls come down. Shout loud, loud until the walls come down. Loud until the walls come down. Okay, what? obviously drawing on, on the picture of the, the children of Israel walking around the walls of Jericho, right? We're going to shout until the walls come down. Shout until the walls come down. Why? Because then it gets to the chorus. He says, because we've already won, and you don't have a chance. When he says, you don't have a chance, he's not talking about you. He's talking about the enemy, right? We've already won, and you don't have a chance. Yeah, we've already won, and no, you don't have a chance. Yes, it's already done, and you don't have a chance because we've already won. We have already won. Will you just say that last line with me? We have already won. Say it again. We have already won. Why? Because we fight from victory, not for victory. And that is so contrary to our, our mentality. It's so contrary to our human nature. It's hard to wrap your brain around that, isn't it? It's hard to see that, man. When you're struggling with sin, it's hard to say, I'm already free. Man, when you're struggling with finances, it's hard to say, I'm already blessed. Man, when, when, when you're struggling in your marriage, it's hard to say, we're already restored. Right? But it's the truth. We are fighting from victory, not for victory. God has already done it. We have already won. Amen? Amen. Put it this way. God doesn't need you to win for him. He just wants you to win with him. That might, that might release somebody today. Maybe you feel like this pressure and this stress and, and I've got to do this for God and I've got to do this for God and, and God's called me to this and if this doesn't happen, man, let me just, God doesn't need you to win for him. He's already won the victory. He doesn't need you. He just wants you to win with him. He wants you to partake in the victory, Rosemary, Sunday night, she, she said one of the things that she got from the Daniel fast was, she was like, I, I was reading through Revelation, I was doing the reading plan, and I couldn't wait to get to the end of the story. said, I knew how it ended, but I just wanted to see it one more time, that Jesus wins. Well, guess what happens when Jesus wins at the end? Everybody who's with Jesus wins. He doesn't need you to win for him. You don't need to destroy Satan. Jesus got that one on lock. He just says, I want you to win with me. I want you on my team. I want to share my victory with you. So be released from that pressure, from that stress. I'm not saying don't, don't serve God. I'm not saying don't be a part of what he's doing. Just don't feel like you have to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. We just have to embrace the role that he's given us. 1 Corinthians 15, 
56 and 57 says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Say thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? He, he, he said in verse 20, 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of, of sin is the law. So he's talking about death and sin. I don't know about you. Those are two things I want to have victory over. Right? I, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We're going to finish that series on that. We're going to have victory over death. We've already got victory over death. He's already done it. He's already won it. He's already given it to us. But we also have victory over sin. Now, we might not be walking in it, but he's already given it to us. We have access to it. We can have it. I got I to gotta hurry up. I'm, I'm taking too long. I'm fired up about this. Point number three, the third difference between God's team and our team. I love this one, too. God's team has no bench. God's team has no bench. In the NFL, they have 53-man rosters. At any given time, there's 11 men on the field. So that means at any given moment in a football game, there's 42 people who ain't playing on the team. That's times two. That's 84 people at the game eligible to play, not on the field. Only 22 of them on the field. It's a small percentage who are on the field. God's team doesn't work that way. God's team has no bench. God's team does not have starters and reserves. God's team does not have the first string and the second string. God's team says once you're on the team, you're on the field. Once you're on the team, you're part of it. I've got a role for you. Your role may not look the same as somebody else's, but everybody's got a role. You don't get to sit on the bench. We're not taking time off. I'm not going to make you wait until you're experienced enough or good enough. I'm going to start using you now. God's team has no bench. There are no scrubs, no second string. There's nobody getting cut. There, there's nobody who, who's stressing out, man. Cut down day is coming. I don't know if I'm going to make the roster. Once you're on the team, you're on the team. Another one I, I didn't get to use, but God's team has no retirement, right? There, there's not a point where you, you, you're you used up. Your worthfulness is over. Your usefulness is over. I got a, I got a really good friend here in town who's a pastor, um, and I was meeting with him a few weeks ago, and, and he was just sharing a, a cool thing that happened in their church. He said, man, there's this guy who, who came to our church, this older man. He's in like his mid-60s, and I got a chance to talk to him afterwards, and, and he had just retired. He'd been a pastor for 35 years in, in Wallace, Mississippi, and he had just retired, and God had told him, and he said he wrestled with it. He didn't want to retire. He said, I, got, I still got more to give. I got more to do, and God said, yes, you do, just not in this role anymore. It's time for you to retire. I'm going to send you to another church, and you're going to go in, and you're just going to support a young pastor who's doing a totally different thing. I want you to bring your maturity, your experience, your passion, and I want you to plug in. And just the way that you've been believed for people to come in and serve your vision for the last 35 years, now you're going to serve somebody else's. What an awesome thing. I heard that story, and I said, God, don't forget about me. (laughs) You can do it for him. You can do it for me. That's awesome. Fired up. But there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. You don't reach a point where you say, you know what, I'm good. Sit back and collect my pension. Sit on Social Security and just go to the beach and wait to die. Man, no. God, if you're alive, if you got breath, you got purpose. There's no bench. There's no retirement. Once you're on the team, you're a starter in the kingdom of God. He wants to use you today. 1 Corinthians 12 very famously makes this comparison between uh, the the church and and a body. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, verse 21, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special uh, modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. 
God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. One of the things we're praying for in 2017 is unity at City Church. There, there's not unity in our country right now. There, there's not unity in, in a lot of aspects, man, but God has called for unity in his church. And I think one of the greatest ways, one of the greatest opportunities for the church to make an impact in the culture right now is to model unity because we don't see it anywhere else. It's one of the greatest opportunities. We got to believe, we believe in God for unity. It says here, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If you're on his team, you're in the game. Last week, we gave out the, the, the card that's on the top on your seat. It says City Church Go Teams. About 10 of you guys turned these in last week. Some of you may have taken them home. You might have forgotten about it, and that's fine. Um, if, if you're not involved here at City Church, I just want you to know we see you as a starter, not somebody on the bench. We see you as somebody who has something to give, and, and we have different things to give and different gifts and different callings and different passions and different opportunities, but all of us have something to give. This is your church home, man. We, we want to empower you to go. We want to empower you to be used. We're, we're going to do some things to help us to grow. We're going to do some things to help us discover, and we're going to do some things to help us to go. So if you haven't turned this in um, and, and, and you're not involved, I encourage you, man, pray over this. Take the next week, two weeks. You can drop it in the offering bucket any Sunday. You can give it to me. You can give it to Bobby, First Impressions Director. Man, just, just find a way. Put it on the Connection Center if you don't know where else to put it. Um, and, and we'll be in touch with you over the next couple of weeks and, and start talking through some opportunities to get you plugged in. But, but we believe there is no bench at City Church. There is no bench in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Point four, last thing. Almost there. Worship team's going to come down. Don't let them distract you. Stay focused. Hang with me. Number four, God's team has no roster limits. NFL, you got 53 people. Uh, they, they, they start with 90 in preseason. They got a 90-man roster. Then the first cut goes down to 75 halfway through the preseason. And then uh, at the beginning of the season, you got to cut down to, to 53. There's a limited amount of people who can be on an NFL roster. God's team has no roster size. It has no roster limit. There's never a point where God says, you know what? That's, that's good. We don't need anybody else. I didn't come to save anybody else. And at never a point, I shouldn't say never, there will be a point where Jesus comes back. But until Jesus comes back, he's still taking new recruits. There, there's, man, college football maybe more of a college fan than an NFL fan. They just had uh, National Letter of Intent Day on Wednesday where, where high school recruits could sign up and pick a team and say, here's where I want to go. And there, there's roster limits. There's 85 scholarships that a an NCAA AA Division I team has. Only so many people can be on the team. It's a bigger team. God has no limit to how many people can sign their letter of intent. He has no limit to how many can sign a contract for his.